This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who want Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I've got a special show for you today. We are continuing with our 31 Beats Beat Writer series, but for the Chicago Blackhawks, who I wanted to talk about today, we not only have one great writer from The Athletic, but we have two. We have both Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers coming on the show. We split the team up in two, and I just finished my first half, my chat with Mark Lazarus, and it was a lot of fun. I'll come back midway through to chat with you guys before cutting to the interview with Scott, but the Mark interview was very fun. I had a blast and we covered a lot of players and everyone who we didn't talk about, I'm going to get to talk to a Scott. So it was perfect. Uh, before I go to that interview, I'll mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the world. There's lots going on over at Dauber Hockey. There hasn't been a lot of hockey going on, but there's lots of Dauber Hockey going on. And I obviously really like that site and also really like all the tools they have over at Frozen Tools, which I use to prep all of these podcasts. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. But with that... I will stop my blabbering, and here is my interview for part one of the Chicago Blackhawks with Mark Lazarus. Okay, everybody, really excited for this upcoming tag team interview episode about the Chicago Blackhawks that we have for you. First up, coming to the ring, we've got the senior writer for The Athletic, the co-host of one half of the co-host of the Laz and Powers podcast, author of If These Walls Could Talk, Chicago Blackhawks, Stories from the Chicago Blackhawks Ice Locker Room and Press Box. It's Mark Lazarus. Welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a mouthful. The name of the book is just awful, isn't it? Uh, previously, we interviewed a Sean Shapiro from Dallas, and he also had like a book with a long title, Hundred yeah, yeah. Things Stars Fans Should Know Before They Die. It's like... Same publisher. <laughs> I guess you want to make sure people who buy the book know exactly what they're getting. <laughs> It's the same publisher and everything. Oh, well, there you go. Well, maybe we can talk about that if we have time at the end. I'd love to hear more about it. But first, I really want to get into the Blackhawks. I find them to be a really interesting team to talk about, maybe even more interesting now that the playoff drought might be over because of this extended playoffs. All of a sudden, we're talking about uh, rebuild complete Chicago Blackhawks. (laughs) (laughs) They're back in the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, so to get started, like just going back quickly, like back 2006, they get Taves, 2007, they get Patrick Kane, and then they become like one of the biggest success stories in the NHL for the following 10 or so seasons. They win three cups, they made the playoffs for nine straight years, but then, you know, all good things come to an end and going into this season, they had missed the playoffs for a couple straight years and all indications seemed like the rebuild might even take a couple years longer. That might not be the case anymore, uh, but looking forward like looking towards next season forgetting about whatever happens in this uh playoffs like do you think the rebuild is almost over and chicago's ready to go on another run like sure kane taves crawford keith like all those guys are old but they seem to have an exciting new young crop and to bring it doc bokvist kubali knee like there's a lot of exciting players so what do you think is the current status of this team it's so hard to say because if you talk to the Blackhawks the last couple of years, they weren't rebuilding. They didn't even really acknowledge that they're kind of in a rebuild until this past season. And so they're, they're kind of in this one of those nether regions where they have this core of uh, highly paid guys, Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, Crawford, uh, and then but they didn't have anybody else. They didn't have the depth that they had in 2010, 2013, 2015. So they were kind of in this they, – they, they, 
you know, they called it a rewind. They called it a retool. They never want to admit that they had to rebuild. But <laughs> now all of a sudden you do have this young group of guys. You have, you know, them winning the, the draft lottery, getting the number three pick last year really accelerated things because Kirby Doc, not only do they get a guy like him, but he steps in right away and he plays well and they're expecting really big things from him. So now you've got this young core with Debrinkit and Doc and Dylan Strom and uh, Dominic Kubalik, who you mentioned, uh, Adam Boquist, Lucas Carlson came up late last year. Ian Mitchell is now signed with the team. They have all these promising young guys, but the trick is, can they get the window of those guys to match up with the window of the aging core? Taves and Kane are 32 now. Uh, Kane will be 32 in November. Taves just turned 32. Uh, Keith and Seabrook are in their mid-30s. Crawford's 35. Uh, can they make it work where – can, can the young guys develop to the point where they're championship caliber at the same time those guys are still championship caliber? Or will they get there just as the, the aging curve is really hitting the core? That's where they're in this kind of really difficult situation where they can't blow up the roster because those contracts are unmovable. And they can't really rebuild because they, they're trying – they're just – they've been running in place for three years. So getting into the quote-unquote playoffs this year, I don't think it changes anything, but it kind of underscores just where they are right now in this kind of – not good enough to contend and not bad enough to rebuild. Right. Yeah. Like they were, even if the season would have just ended now, they're sort of in this place where they don't get the best draft pick, right. but also they don't go on a playoff run. So you're not sure. Is there anything to like uh, the president, John McDonough got fired. Does that have an effect on anything? Does that mean like the vision for the team has changed at all? Well, McDonough was more of a business side guy. kind of thing. he wasn't like a Brendan Shanahan type team president. Uh, he's the one who kind of ushered the Blackhawks out of the dark ages. He came over from the Cubs and basically taught them how to run a real business. I mean, when he came on in 2007, the Blackhawks didn't even have a receptionist. They had like 14 employees in the entire front office. It was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, wow. ESPN named him the worst franchise in pro sports in 2004, and there's a reason for that. Um, McDonough, he did weigh in on hockey ops every now and then. He had a he meddled and dabbled every now and then, but he wasn't a hockey guy. Uh, from what I understand, the Blackhawks have been on total – media blackout since the, the the season was put on pause so even though they made a high profile firing there's been no press conferences no interviews from uh, t- the owner or the interim president danny works we don't know exactly what their plan is that from what i understand they're taking their time do they to evaluate internally do they want to have a president of hockey ops do they want to kick stan bowman up to that job and then hire a younger gm who's more analytics driven or, or a, cap- a capologist do they want to get rid of stan bowman altogether that all options are on the table uh, I don't think McDonough's firing has a tremendous impact. From what I understand, it was more of an internal uh, kind of struggle for power with Danny Wirtz and the son of the owner won. So uh, I don't know yet what the ramifications will be of that long term. It's it's just really hard to tell. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And anyways, as long as it's not hockey related, then we could get back to the team. And it was really interesting. Your, your answer to, you know, if their window is open, you said how they have to fit this in while Kane and Taves are still good. And like, normally NHL players tend to regress, you know, once they hit their 30s. But that hasn't been the case yet for Kane and Taves. In fact, the opposite, like just last season, 18-19, both of them set career highs in points. Kane had 110 points, Taves hit 81. And they were both seeing like career high average ice times that seasons like clearly hitting their 30s wasn't slowing them down and then this past season 1920 sure their paces were down a bit but I don't think you could say that Kane or Taves are slowing down when Kane was on a 98 point pace Taves was on a 70 point pace so is the picture that these numbers are painting accurate that both Kane and Taves are currently like at the top of their games and is there any reason not to expect that what they did this season is going to carry over for next year and maybe even still a few more Certainly with Patrick Kane. I mean, this is just one of those guys who's going to be great well into his late 30s. He never gets hit. He is not a, he, he is not built on speed. He is not built on power. He is just pure skill, creativity, and vision. And that doesn't go away. I mean, Patrick Kane is going to be – he is getting – he is literally getting better every year. He won the MVP in 15-16, and he's better now than he was then. Wow. Uh, he just doesn't have Artemi Panarin to play with. Uh, to kind of because very few guys can think the game at the speed and the level that Patrick Kane can. Panarin was one of those few guys, but Kane is still fantastic, as good as he's ever been. Taves, it's interesting because he had a couple of down years um, in uh, b- before last season, and uh, it was weird because his numbers were really good. His underlying numbers were great. The puck just wouldn't go in for him. He was on the line with Brandon Sod again, and and Sod had the same problem. They, they were kind of feeding off each other, where they were both playing great and not scoring, and it made them both look worse than they actually were. They were both having just awful puck luck all year. Uh, Taves, he really rebounded last year offensively, the best offensive year of his career. He is not the same player he was at 25. I mean, you think back to that 
2013 season where he was just a possession monster. He had the puck, I think, 62% of the time and just completely dominated every every aspect of the game. He doesn't get the defensive assignments the way he did back then. He's more of a traditional number one center now where he's expected to score. Some of that defensive weight has been lifted off of him, and that's enabled him to kind of get his numbers back up. He's still very good defensively. He's still an elite penalty killer. He still plays in all phases of the game. But he is not quite the same all-around player he was seven years ago. That was a he played a heavy, hard style that you just can't do forever. But he is still high-end player, still very responsible defensively, still can score in bunches, uh, is still revered in that locker room. And uh, you know he's he's 32 years old. He's not an old man yet. He keeps he, he takes care of himself. Uh, he's physically fit as as anybody in the league. Uh, he's still got a few good years left in him. But the way he plays with that heavy style, always uh, you know with guys draped all over him, you wonder how long he can do it for. Right, yeah. And obviously for the Chicago Blackhawks, they want to have this possession monster and someone who is, you know, so great defensively. But, you know, a lot of the people listening here that play fantasy hockey are thinking, okay, Mark, I don't really care that much. What they really want to know is, is Taves <laughs> going to continue putting up these career-high well, numbers? Well, ideally, I, I, think, I think the ideal situation, again, them winning the draft lottery last year made such a big difference because now you can envision if Kirby Doc becomes the player they think he's going to be, he has Taves-like qualities where he's an all-around player. If he could become your number one center, in a couple of years, imagine Jonathan Taves as your number three center, just as a shutdown guy, you know, at 33, oh. <laughs> 34 years old. That's the dream scenario. That's what they envisioned for Marion Hosa before the skin condition in his career, where he was going to be the greatest third liner in the history of third liners. Mm-hmm. They would love to see Doc at number one center, Dylan Strom at number two center, and Jonathan Taves just eating teams up as a number three center. Yeah, that would be like amazing for the Blackhawks. I wonder how Jonathan Taves would feel about this after being a superstar for so long. But I guess that's what happens to everyone. Jason Spezza is still around being a fourth liner on on Toronto. So everyone has their role. Okay, so you talked about puck luck and how Taves wasn't seeing another player who wasn't seeing puck luck this past season was Alex Dabrinkit. And I want to know if it was like just puck luck or if if there was more to it because he had this amazing year in 2018-19. 41 goals, 76 points. It looked like this huge like superstar like on the brink. Could he be better is what I would have been asking you if I was interviewing you last summer and then this season things went differently only 21 goals just above 50 points but what I'm seeing is that he was actually on pace to beat his shot total from the previous season he was on pace for like 240 shots this year but his shooting percentage was 8.7 percent compared to 18.6 in the year prior so is the correct takeaway here just that Debrinket had bad luck but he was like playing just as well as ever or is there like more to the story to explain why he went back to kind of his rookie pace in year three there's more. There's always more to the story, but I think the, I think the right answer is he probably isn't a 40 goal scorer every year, but he's certainly not a 20 goal scorer every. Year. The guy's he's a 30 goal scorer. He's got that lethal shot. He's got great release. Uh, he has a knack. He's another guy. He's not very fast. He's not. He's certainly not big, but he has a knack for finding open space. And you know when you put him on a line with Dylan Strome, they had that telekinetic link that kind of Kane and Panarin had. And you put him in the right situation, he's going to score a bunch of goals this year. Yeah, that, he's not going to shoot at what eight percent the rest of his career. He had. There is some puck luck. There's some PDO involved there when your shooting percentage drops 10 points overnight like that. Right. Uh, but he wasn't really used in, in a great situations this year. I mean, he should be playing with Dylan Strom. They've been playing together since they were kids, and they have that link, and they bring out the best in each other. Uh, and too often this year, it was you know playing with Taze, or they had uh, – you know. Uh, to bring it with Kane and someone else at center, or they had Strom on the wing, which didn't make any sense. You need to just, you know, in my opinion, you just load up to bring it Strom Kane as your second line. Just know they're going to get scored on a ton, but also know that they're going to score a ton and just maximize your weapons. Uh, but to bring it, you know, he, he was frustrated all year. I, I talked to him about it a lot. Uh, every week kind of revisits like, man, you're, you're still, you're still shooting. You're not shy. You're not, but you know, he kept saying he was going to just shoot his way out of it. Um, the shots were still good. He hit a lot of posts. You'd see a lot of times where someone would make a great save on him and he'd just be looking at the heavens like, oh my God, what's going to take for me to score? Uh, it's five on five because his power play numbers were on pace with last year's. You know, it, it just, he just wasn't scoring at five on five. And of course, some of that's on him. He's got to score. That's his job. That's, the, that's what he does. Right. Um, but I think it's probably unrealistic to expect him to be a 40 goal guy every year, but I don't think they're worried that he's going to drop and become all of a sudden just a mediocre 20 goal guy. Okay, so you're thinking maybe next, if you had to predict the number of goals next year, are you landing right in the middle, like around 30? Yeah, I mean, he's he's not, nobody shoots 18% really for that, you know, their career. But yeah, Alex Tange. <laughs> right, put him at 12% and he's going to be scoring 30, 35 goals. I think you're happy with that with a second round pick who's five foot two. 
Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Though the deployment thing you bring up is like really interesting because the Blackhawks have seemed like they've never really been shy about switching up their lines every stop. I feel like on our podcast, we're always like, okay, we got a new player playing with Patrick Kane. Everyone's got to look <laughs> at this guy now. And like Jeremy Colleton had, like you said, like uh, Debrinkit was playing with Kane and Strom at the end of the year. But, you know, sometimes he was playing up with guys like Kirby Doc and Drake Kajula, which isn't, right. you know, the greatest pair of right. guys. So like, do you think that there is a plan for things to stabilize like next year or sometime in the near future? Like, do they have a set plan of what they want, like to say the top six or the top nine to look like? I think Jeremy Colleton would love that, but the Blackhawks were bad this year. And when you're bad, you can't be complacent and just let things play out. So you lose two or three games in a row and you're a second year coach in your first full season, still trying to prove yourself. You're going to tinker. You're going to try to find it. And Jeremy Colleton, at the beginning of last year, we were asking about that. Uh, and I think it was me who asked him after a, a press conference where they, he was changing the lines left and right and benching guys. And he sat Kubalik, uh, who was clearly a good player. And, you know, he said, it's not the line combinations. And sometimes it is the line combination. Yeah. Sometimes it matters. I mean, you know, Artem Anisimov was great when he was playing with Patrick Kane and uh, Artemi Panarin. He was not very good when he was playing with anybody else, literally anybody else. The line combinations do matter. And, you know, Patrick Kane, you know, this has been his lot in life is – the Blackhawks go out of their way to make sure Jonathan Taves has the right wings to play for him. And it often comes at the expense of Patrick Kane because Kane is so good that they'll just throw anybody on his line. He, I, I, I counted it once between like 2011 and 2016, he played with something like 13 different centers, which is just insanity. I mean, Marcus Kruger to Dave Bolin to, you know, uh, you know Brad Richards was the, Brad Richards. And then our, our um, Artem and Isimov were the only consistent centers he had in like a seven year span. Um, and it's, it, 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 and he sits there and he takes it cause he's, he can make anybody look good and he can score no matter who's on his line. But sometimes, you know, you just got to feed your best player and let him carry you. Sometimes you got to load up the way the Bruins do and just say, screw it. Let Patrick Kane go score a whole bunch of goals. Yeah, like obviously whenever they do put Kane and Taves together, which has happened before, it always works out well. Oddly enough, it really doesn't anymore. Like oh, no. I feel like it used to the last few years, like they'll do that and it has this immediate spark of chemistry and they'll have like two really good games together, and then it just doesn't really work. Like Taves is best with Sod and Kubalik. Those are you know, Sod and Taves have been together since 2013 off and on, and they always work well together. They're basically the exact same player. And Kubalik is the shooter. They need a shooter on that line, so it works. Kane likes playing with Debrinkit and Strom. I mean, he doesn't, he tries to hide it, but he doesn't hide it well. He likes those guys. They're friends off the ice. They're, they're all hockey nerds. They like sitting around the locker room talking about nerdy stats things. And they like playing together because they have that creativity. Uh, I think that's actually a better situation for him than playing with Taze. Some, for some reason, Taze and Kane doesn't work the way it used to. It's really hard to play center for Patrick Kane because he's the one who's going to have the puck all the time. He's the one who's going to carry the puck up ice. So, uh, you know, why a guy like Anisimov worked is he didn't care. He just wanted to go to the net and have bucks bounce off of him. A guy like Jonathan Taves, he's really good with the puck too. So sometimes just putting two stars together doesn't really work. you got to find that right mix, the right kind of player. And I think to bring it Strom are actually a better match than Taves and Sadar. Okay, I think you've just nailed it. We go Kane, Strom, Debrinkit. Then you've got Taves with Kubalik and Sad. I've, and I've I... been saying that since last October. <laughs> and, you know, Colleton finally went to it in around February. <laughs> Though, actually, I, I misspoke because I, I'm seeing now, it was actually at the very end of the season, or before a pause, uh, it was Alex Nylander playing with Kane and Dylan Strom. Oh, God, that's true. Yeah, God, the season was so long ago. I don't even remember who was playing. <laughs> Alex Nylander was on the top line with Sad and uh, Taves for like two months without scoring. And it's like they were just trying to justify that Yoki Aryu trade and making it happen uh, until they finally elevated Kubalik to that top line. And he's such a good shooter. He's the, be- he's, he's the best shooter on a team with Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit. So he has to be on that top line now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Kubali because you were saying before how like obviously deployment matters, lines matter. I think when you're talking about Kubalik, that's a, a good example. But even before getting to this season, this guy's 24 years old, but it was his rookie season. He was drafted in the seventh round back in 2013 by the LA Kings. And he started this season slow. Like he was playing, you know, in the bottom six, only averaging around 13 minutes per game, had a modest 13 points through his first 33 games. But then clearly like something changed all of a sudden Kubalik was playing like you said with Taves his minutes went up he exploded he had 33 points 22 goals and 33 points in his final 35 games so almost a point per game so like 
I guess first, I have like two questions for you about Kubali. Like, first of all, I'd love to know if you know first the all, story. who the hell is he, right? Yeah, like what's the story here? Like, how did he get? Why did it take him so long? Okay, so let's start there. What 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 took so long for him to get here? And like, did anyone know that he was going to be this good? Uh, this is the Blackhawks' specialty is is European scouting. You know, this is how they've managed to keep fielding competitive teams, even with all these huge contracts. You can look at Artemi Panarin, a late bloomer that they brought over. Eric Gustafson, who was sixty point guy last year, was another who's a, a, another late bloomer who they you know got over from Europe. Uh, Dominic Cahoon last year. Cahoon oh, knows yeah. they, he knows Kubalik. They were they were friends. They played together in I think juniors. And uh, I remember when they signed Kubalik or they made the trade. I think they gave up like a fifth round pick or something to the Kings for the rights to Kubalik. Uh, I remember I, I asked him like, you know, what about this Kubalik guy? He says, Oh, wait till he gets here, man. He's legit. Like, wait till you see him shoot the puck. He's going to be a superstar in this league. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying that about your your buddy, your countryman, and look your at namesake. He's, he's yeah, right. He's he's legit. And this is what the Blackhawks do. Their their European scouting staff is second to none. And Stan Bowman, he gets a lot of flack from fans for a lot of reasons, but he's really good at closing the deal on these European signings. And Europeans want to come to Chicago because they've seen these guys have success, come right over and, and play major roles right away. So uh, uh, Kubalik is just the latest in a long line of guys that they've come brought over on entry-level deals that have plugged important holes. Yeah, and so at some point midway through the season, like I said, he gets this opportunity. He explodes. Was it that Carlton saw that he was like kind of doing well in practice or whatever and gave him the opportunity and that's what turned it around? Or was it like, is it a chicken and egg thing? Like, why did he all of a sudden turn it around only in December? It's interesting. In training camp and in the preseason and in the first few games, the third line was Brandon Saad, David Kampf, who Jeremy Carlton just adores. He loves him some David Kampf <laughs> and Dominic Kubalik. And they were just swamping teams in terms of possession but like 12 or 13 minutes a night. So it was a really good line. And, and, and a lot of us, I, I, was, I was hammering this just every week on the podcast. I was just getting obnoxious as hell that take Saad and Kubalik, they clearly work well together, and put them with Jonathan Taves because Jonathan Taves is better than David Kampf. So it would be a much better line. And it just took months for him to do that. I, I don't know what it was. Colleton scratched Kubalik a couple of times, you know, said he wasn't you know, playing hard enough defensively or whatever it was. The guy can just flat out score goals put him in a position to score goals. And, you know, whether Colleton wanted him to earn it or to prove it or whatever, once he finally elevated him and gave him the minutes and gave him, you know, good players to play with, he capitalized. Yeah. I'm feeling like there's an analogy here to Nikita Gusev over in New Jersey. Like it took him a little while and he got scratched for a couple of games. And all of a sudden, I guess he kind of figured it out. Maybe it's hard to coming to a new league. And obviously these guys took a little bit of time. Though now looking forward to next year, we do have to keep in mind that Kubali had this amazing stretch, but also he had a 25% shooting percentage after December 19th. Yeah. So I, I assume that we're not expecting him to score that many goals. Like what do you, where do you think he lands in terms of like, who's the real dominant Kubali, assuming he gets to stick in the top six, like playing with Jonathan Taves? Well, yeah. I mean, if you extrapolated his, his goals and points from just the time he was on the top line, he'd probably be like, what, like a 45 goal score if he did that for a full season. Yeah. I think, you know, 30, 35 goals, he, he, this is a, this is a this is a pure goal scorer who plays hard. He's really fun to watch because he is just constantly in motion. I mean, this is a legitimate high end hockey player. I think he is going to be a thirty goal guy going forward. He uh, especially if they keep him in a top six role, which I don't know how you keep him out of it at this point. The trick is going to be re-signing him. He's obviously one of their top priorities going into this offseason. But you know, he's a, he's a, a free agent. He's an RFA. And the Hawks have a lot of, they have Dylan Strom. They've got to figure out Corey Crawford or what they're going to do in goal. And the salary cap's going to be flat or worse. And they're a cap strap team. So there's a lot of variables to go into play here. But you got to think that they, they see Kuba League as a huge part of the future. And they saw what happened when they let Artemi Panarin go. I don't think they're going to want to do that again with uh, Kuba League. Right. Yeah. And uh, man, there's so many places I want to go from here because you bring up Crawford and the goalie situation. But uh, I am kind of curious because you brought it up a couple times now with the Brandon Saad trade. Like I was just thinking about it recently and how Stan Bowman trades Panarin for Brandon Saad. And, you know, looking at it very quickly, you think, what a, what a terrible trade. Panarin's like one of the top players in the league right now. And Brandon Saad is good, like obviously, but he's not, no Artemi Panarin. Though, like, when you look at it a little more deeply, and maybe I'm like overthinking it here, but like Panarin's gone from Columbus now because he became an unrestricted free agent and he's getting That's paid exactly right. crap loads over on the Rangers. And meanwhile, Brandon Saad's still under contract for another year at $6 million, which is a pretty good salary for him. Plus those couple of losing seasons, you know, got the, got the Blackhawks 
Kirby Doc and Adam Vokvis. So I'm kind of curious, do people in Chicago see this trade like in hindsight as having been like the disaster that it kind of looks like on the surface? Or do people think, oh, wow, maybe Stan Bowman really knew what he was doing there? Nobody ever gives Stan Bowman credit in Chicago. So that's certainly not <laughs> what it is. But I think that there's a bit of a softening in the last year or so. People were so upset about the trade. And then Saad came in and I love Brandon Saad. I, I am a really big fan of Brandon Saad as a hockey player. He's everything you want. He's fast. He's big. He's really good defensively. He's strong. He scores. But he came in and had a really tough puck luck season that first year where the puck just would not go in for him. So it looked awful because Panarin is this, you know, generational type of talent where he's, he, I mean, he, he right now if I'm voting for the Hart Trophy, he might get my heart vote this year. That's how good he is. He's an MVP caliber player who made your MVP the best he'd ever been. Mm-hmm. So it looks really bad. and I, I, But there's a softening because – the whole there were two reasons the Blackhawks made that trade. One, they felt that they needed to cater to Jonathan Taves. They needed to get Taves back to a higher level, and Saad does that. Whereas Kane doesn't necessarily need Panarin, like we talked about earlier, to be productive. But the number two reason was just what you said: cost certainty, and that's what Stan Bowman kept saying: is you know you could have had two more years of Artemi Panarin, or you get four years of Brandon Saad, because there's no conceivable way that Artemi Panarin could be on the Blackhawks this season. He's getting $11.5 million. The Blackhawks have $21 million tied up in Taves and Kane alone. Seabrook's making six eight seven five. Uh, Keith is still making five and a half. There is no possible way that they could have kept Artemi Panarin beyond last season. So big picture, it's not that bad of a trade. It's still a lopsided trade. You trade away a Hart Trophy candidate, you screwed up. But it doesn't look that bad in hindsight. When they made the trade, I was shocked, but at the same time, I got it. And again, I'm a big Brandon Saad guy. He makes your team better in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's really hard to ever look at trading away a top 10 player in the world as a net positive. It's just no fan is going to look at that dispassionately, and really they shouldn't. Right. I guess at the end, it's kind of like, yeah, the trade makes sense, but shouldn't you have been able to ask for more? Like, I guess maybe that's the way you think of it. Like, well, yeah, honestly, it was a decent deal. Get a draft What it comes pick. down to is, you know, <laughs> the, the Blackhawks had a ch- they, they could have extended their window two more years. Remember, in 2016-17, they were a 50-win team. They got swept by the Predators in the first round. The Predators turned out to be really good. They went to the Stanley Cup final. The Blackhawks just had a horrible week. Now, granted, that was a bit of a smoke and mirrors team. Corey Crawford was phenomenal, and you know uh, Panarin and Kane were tearing it up. But they overreacted to that sweep with Nashville, traded away Panarin, traded away Jalmerson in an attempt to, to, to extend the window. But in fact, they shut it slammed it on their fingers. They could have last year, this year, excuse me, could have been the first really bad year. If they had just kept Panarin and said, yo, he, he might walk in two years, but we're going to make the most out of him while we have him. They could have extended the window just a couple more years before the bottom fell out. That's true. That's a good point. So there's no way to know what could have been if they right. kept Panarin. Uh, so I'd love to keep going. I have more players I want to talk about, but luckily I have your colleague, Scott Powers, <laughs> coming in a little bit to finish this up. Uh, before I let you go, though, uh, I'd love to ask you about your book and about your podcast. And like, I don't know, I'd love to just everyone to get to know, like, obviously from hearing from you, they know that you know what you're doing behind a microphone. So people should probably be checking out the Laz and Powers podcast if they want to hear more about the Blackhawks. Yeah, God, it's a new episodes most Mondays. Um, uh, we, we've been doing it throughout the quarantine. It's been a struggle. What times. have you guys been talking about? <laughs> uh, the way we decided to handle it was to interview smart people like you. So how are you guys handling <laughs> the quarantine? Uh, we, 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 we've had a few guests. We had Steve Larmer on. We had uh, uh, Christopher Stieg on to talk about the old days. We had Dennis Rasmussen on to talk about life on the fringe, what it's like to be. Nobody ever talks to the fringe guys, right? And it's, I think their lives are way more interesting as a, as a, as a sports writer. I tend to gravitate to those guys because their lives are interesting. They're always constantly fighting for a job where Patrick Kane doesn't have to worry about those things, you know? Um, and we've talked about, God, we've talked about movies and TV uh, and now we have some hockey to talk about. It's been pleasant to actually have some, to- some hockey to talk about, but you can find us uh, wherever podcasts are downloaded. Yeah, for sure. And I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. And uh, do you want to tell people about this book that you wrote? If these walls can talk uh, stories. You don't have to say the rest. House. If these okay. walls can talk, it's fine. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, it's kind of uh, encapsulates the, 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 the golden age of Blackhawks hockey. I kind of got lucky in a weird way in that the bottom fell out right after I wrote it. So I didn't have to add any chapters to it when they won another Stanley Cup. But kind of counts the rise. We talked about how bad things were in the, uh, in the mid-2000s, what a pathetic organization it was, and how they went from that to this decade of dominance. Uh, kind of the behind the scenes stories, some fun stuff and uh, uh, a lot of F-bombs from hockey players. 
that's that's hockey right (laughs) yeah and hey you know you gotta have some bad years to get Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and then you win three cups that's what I I distinctly remember I was actually going through an old story you know that they were relieving the the 2013 series against Detroit they've been showing the games on local tv here that great series where they came back from 3-1 down and won an overtime at game seven and I distinctly remember Mike Babcock he was the coach of the Red Wings then he said in like the one of the opening press conferences of the uh of the of the series he said the blackhawks lost the right way they lost and got good players out of it you have to maximize your losing and the chicago blackhawks did that yeah much better than like the oilers for a while right. with some of their exactly. picks so oilers looking good actually you reminded me a lot of the oilers when you're talking about kane and how he doesn't need to have the good players taves needs the good players it reminds me of how they uh, the oilers put mcdavid with yeah. like uh, zach Cassian and whoever while dry gets to play with nugent hopkins feed your stars give your stars a chance to score goals god yeah, I wonder if McDavid could be like a 200-point guy. But I'll save that for the Edmonton podcast, <laughs> where we might be talking a lot about Chicago, because those are the teams that might play each other in this first round, which would be very exciting. Yeah, let, let's hope it gets to that point. We all want to see some hockey. Yeah, I guess a lot has to happen before this could actually yeah, happen. Yeah. It's fun to talk about. It is really fun to talk about, yeah. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much again, Mark. And have a great rest of your night. And yeah, everyone, go and follow. My, obviously, also The Athletic, right? People should be reading your articles on The Athletic. You've got lots of great stuff there. Please. Thanks again. Thank you. It was fun. Okay, so much fun. That time just flew by. Thanks again, Mark, for giving us that time to talk about all of these interesting players on Chicago. It is interesting. They're right on the cusp, right? Like They're not bad. They're not amazing, but I feel like they could be amazing. I'm going to talk more about the younger players, the prospects, when I talk to Scott Powers. So maybe at the end, we'll be able to get a full picture of like how close this team is to potentially competing. So I guess with that... I haven't actually recorded this interview. This is one of the rare times where I'm doing one of these little interludes and I myself don't know what's coming, but I'm sure it'll be great. So here's my interview with Scott Powers. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are for part two of the Chicago Blackhawks installment of our Beat Writers series. And we have the second half of the Laz and Powers podcast duo and senior writer for The Athletic. Welcome to the show, Scott Powers. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really happy to have you here to talk through the rest of the Chicago Blackhawks that we didn't cover with Mark. He got he got the big names. We covered Kane and Taves <laughs> and Debrinkit, and we talked about Kubalik's great rookie season. We covered the uh, sod for Panarin trade. Uh, but now I'd love to dig in with you some of these rookies on this team. I guess Kubalik is a rookie, but he's he's an older rookie. Let's go yeah. to like the other side, like the younger guys. And I want to start with Kirby Doc, who was drafted third overall in the 2019 draft and come October 20th of that year, was already playing in his first NHL game as an 18-year-old. And while his minutes started low, you know, in low tens, his deployment grew throughout the season. By the second half, he was seeing 15 to 16 and a half minutes per game, playing on a line with the Brinkett, even got some turns on the top power play. Uh, so yeah, of course, his 23 points and 64 games are nothing to write home about. But do you think the Blackhawks see this rookie season for Doc as having been a success? And, and should we be expecting the 19-year-old Doc to start making an offensive impact on the score sheet really soon? Yeah, no, I think I think this season was, uh, yeah, it, you know, exceeded expectations where uh, you didn't even know if he was going to make the team or not. So, uh, you know, he starts off the year with a concussion. He had a concussion in Traverse City. Uh, so things kind of get delayed there. And, um, you know, a lot of people thought maybe he'd come back and they sent him back to uh, the Western League and, you know, have him spend the year there. But they were they were patient, um, waiting until he got healthy. And then they wanted to give him a, a full look. So it, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't written how they wanted it. He, he came back and, and, and the season was already rolling. So they got him in the practices and played, got him up to speed and uh, put him in some games. And, and he looked like he can hold his own. And um, I think a lot of people anticipated this first year to be spent, uh, you know, maybe a couple of NHL games and certainly not burn the season. Um, and, you know, maybe even give him a few games and they had him back to, uh, back to his Western League team. But, it, uh, you know, he, he found a place and he proved himself to be one of the you know, one of the top 12 forwards in that team. And as the year went on, they, he got more comfortable. And like you said, the production wasn't there, but you can see where he can be a really productive player down the line where he has a size and um, probably skates a little better than people th- thought about him. But he, he, he can, he can, he can do some things with the puck and, he, and he's pretty good around the net and he, he has a pretty good sense about it. And, and as the season went on, as you know, his ice time increased and you know, even toward the end of the season, they had him on the top power play unit and in the game before the pause, they had him as the net front presence. And, um, you know, was helping them on a couple of power play goals. So I, I think they see big things for him. And, and, and there's certainly areas where he's got to improve. You know, you look at face-offs and probably took some more too many hits this season. But overall, you can see why the Blackhawks thought, um, you know, obviously this was a draft where you knew number one, number two were going to be, but number three was 
uh, you know, it was Turcott, there was Doc, and, um, you know, there were so many different players that could fall in that spot. And the Blackhawks love Doc's size and uh, his potential. And, and, and so far, it looks like they made the right choice. Well, that's great to hear. And yeah, it's always impressive when someone could come in as an 18-year-old and see like his deployment rise like it did. His situation kind of reminds me of like Nick Suzuki a bit on the Habs, just because like he's also an up-and-coming center, but the team has, you know, some other centers already in the picture. Like the Chicago already has Taves and Dylan Strome. Uh, Mark was saying how he thinks Kirby Doc is like the future number one center on the team. And he was throwing a scenario out of Jonathan Taves being like the third line center. Do you think it's going to like go that way? Or do you think maybe there's a chance that like Strome or Doc could be moved to the wing over uh, sometime over the next couple of years just to get both of them into the top six? Yeah, you know, we saw it this year where, where Strome played a little bit more of the wing than, than he'd been even used to in the past. So they definitely experimented with that. And, um, you know, they like the idea of Strome, um, you know, maybe venturing off and be able to play a little bit more offensively. He's on the wing and, um, you know, just uh, certainly with Taves there, it, it's hard to bump him off in that top spot. And I don't foresee that happening in the in the near future. But um, you would think they at least think of Doc as their, as their you know, future center. And we'll see about Strom. I mean, even now they have to make a decision about him coming up, you know, him being an RFA and, right. you know, where the cat picture is with, uh, you know, they got a goalie situation where they got to take Crawford and, or, or a number one goalie if it's not Crawford, but then also have Kubelik to pay and Strom and, um, and there's not a whole lot of money coming out the book. So it, it'll be interesting what the Blackhawks do this, this summer financially. But yeah, for right now, you know, I mean, stocks, stocks still improving. Drome, you know, Strom even, um, you know, we're talking about two full seasons of NHL now and, and still getting his feet wet a little bit. So, um, and the fact that Taves can win faceoffs and do so many different things for the Blackhawks doing that. Maybe in the future, Doc or Strom is that guy, but, um, I, I see, uh, I see, you know, Taves is at number one for, uh, for a little bit longer. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to like say to someone like you're going to be the next Jonathan Taves. Jonathan Taves is one of the best players ever. Uh, but Kirby Doc, uh, one last thing about him before we move on. This season, he didn't really play that much with Patrick Kane. Like Patrick Kane was being centered by some other guys. Do we? Do you see that as a tandem that C- Coach Carlton will try to run with in a little bit? Because I know that uh, Jonathan Taves was re- always likes to play with Brandon Saad, and he was clicking with Kubalik. So it seems like that would be such a great spot for Kirby Doc in terms of like to maximize his offensive production if he could be on a line with Patrick Kane for a long period. Yeah, no, yeah. I guess there's there's a lot of moving parts where you you're still going to get the brink at top six minutes, and yeah, uh, and then you want to give Strom top six minutes, and um, and it's, it's I know Kane even likes playing with Alex Nylander with him and Nylander showing. Um, some chemistry late in the season and, and Nylander plays a little bit more of a creative game and he's got some skill and um, you know, it, it, there's some inconsistency there, but it's uh, Kane likes playing with him too. So I, I think there's some different options and, you know, you saw Doc with Kane a little bit and, and maybe it's something as, as Doc gets more comfortable and um, the Blackhawks get more comfortable with Doc, maybe they start experimenting, but there's a lot of different options there. Even with, you know, you have Saad signed for a while and certainly with the Brinkett's extension and, you know, they uh, they obviously like Nylander trading Yogi Haru for him. And, um, you know, they like to see him as part of the picture, too. So I, I think that top nine is going to uh, it'll be interesting to see how they that, that kind of plays out. And, and this season, we saw a different lot of variations where even early in the season, you know, Koopa Leak and Saad were playing with Camp. And then Camp became more of a, um, you know, fourth liner. And, and, and Koopa Leak got his ice time increased and got, you know, a bigger role, you know, as a top six. So. Um, and, and the fact that Brinkett wasn't the Brinkett, you know, we saw the first two seasons, I think, affected it too, where his production wasn't as great. So I, I think he bounced around a little bit more than the previous year where, where he was playing with Strome pretty consistently. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting if they, uh, if, if they feel like they can roll, you know, Caves and Doc and Strome down the middle uh, and feel like all those guys can, uh, you know, be reliable and consistent, they'll, they'll definitely have some different options to pair them up with different wingers yeah it'll be really interesting to follow chicago over the next couple of years like for a team that's supposed to be kind of rebuilding like they have like a lot of players that could fit into this top six it's almost like overflowing and so maybe it turns into like a top nine uh so you brought up strome and nylander so i'd love to get into these guys these like reclamation projects it's really cool to me like two years in a row chicago traded for a former first round pick who like wasn't panning out for his team and then gave the player like a second chance and a chance to succeed giving them prime deployment and like it's kind of neat you see the mirrors there like in 2018-19 it was Dylan Strome who came over 
in that deal for Nick Schmaltz. And he struggled to crack the Coyotes lineup after being taken third overall in 2015. But as soon as he got to Chicago, he went on that line with Debrinket and Kane and then eventually Debrinket and Cahoon. And, and he, he was fantastic. 51 points in 58 games for the Blackhawks in 2018-19. And then we have Alex Nylander, who came over, like you said, in the Yoki Haru trade over the summer. And he also got an opportunity to play with Patrick Kane at the start of the year. And I think also at the end of the year, I noticed that they were going with Kane, Nylander, and Dylan Strom, actually. So the two reclamation projects playing together. Uh, so do you think it's like a coincidence that Stan Bowman traded for these two guys in two straight seasons? Or do you think like after the Strom acquisition went well, he was like looking for his next big score? No, I, I think they're looking for, you know, they, they look for guys who maybe who have untapped potential. I mean, you look at guys like even Slater Cuckoo, who was a, a first-round pick who they traded for, and they, they thought maybe, um, you know, it, it's a, di- a different sort of player in different circumstances. But you've seen them sometimes uh, go after guys that, you know, even declare they had traded for, um, and, um, you know, some guys that they thought maybe just had, you know, Richard Panic was a guy who, uh, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't having much success, and he came to the Blackhawks and became a 20-goal scorer. And, and certainly been inconsistent since, but he, he got paid after being with the Blackhawks. And, um, and, and now with Strom, you know, they felt like the Arizona just wasn't giving him the opportunity. And the fact that they had Alex Debrinkin, who had so much familiarity with him with playing in the OHL together. Um, and then Nylander, you know, the, their, uh, their Rockford coach, uh, just Andre Sorensen, who actually, uh, coached Nylander when he was younger with the Chicago Mission and the AAA. And, you know, they had some familiarity with his game and, and felt like he was sort of a similar case where just uh, it, it hadn't been the right opportunity. And um, and you look at Buffalo a little bit more where, where Nylander probably got a little bit more of a chance in Buffalo than, than Strom did in Arizona, but um, they felt like it was a similar case. And, um, and and I think there was other things at play too with, you know, when you look at Yoki Haro being traded, I think um, they were a little bit concerned about Ian Mitchell signing and, and where his future lied. And, and uh, you had a lot of right-handed defensemen shots that are really young and, um, I, I think that they, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, they, they were turned off by Yuki Haro, even though he played as a, uh, you know, as a 19-year-old in the NHL and um, thought Nylander was, uh, uh, you know, was going to give them a little boost too. And, and I think Jerry's still out on the trade and what Nylander can be. You know, you can see where he, uh, at times, he's he's certainly productive and fun to watch. And there's other times where he's, um, you know, he's, whether he's whip-whiffing on the puck or just the inconsistency uh, in the different zones, the effort isn't always there. So uh, he's still really young. It's, it's hard to think. You know, I mean, he's already. I mean, he, he came up as an 18-year-old from Sweden, and um, he's, he's already spent a lot of time in the American League and NHL. And um, but he's still pretty young, so I don't think anyone's writing him off. But the Blackhawks do like the potential and the fact that Kane likes playing with them. Um, but there's there's definitely some similar similarities where the, the Blackhawks, you know, they, they gave up a, a decent amount with Schmaltz and Yoki Haru, but they felt like. They were, um, you know, that risk was, was going to be paid off with, with Stroman and Nylander. And we'll see. But it, it was two two trades. Was, like you said, they had some, some similar value in them. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how both of these guys play out. Like Dylan Strom looked like he was in an amazing spot back in 2018 19 because he also got on the top power play. He ended up getting bumped this year. Guys like Kirby Doc and Dominic Kubali come in and sort of. Uh, bogard those top power play spots uh, and then alex nylander like he's like we were saying like got to play with patrick kane if you had to pick one to have like the higher upside who's gonna have the brighter future on the team between nylander and dylan strom is it dylan strom for sure and nylander was more of a lottery pick or do you think it could go either way yeah i think the fact that we've already seen it with strom a little bit you know the fact that i i, I think that he's put up some some pretty good production even this season but you know he got hurt before that he had been playing pretty well and and you saw spurts this season where I think Strom has shown he's more consistent. Um, you know, the jury, I, I think there are a lot of people are still wondering that if, if Nylander will ever put together, you know, and it, it's certainly, like I said, a little bit early to write him off, but uh, um, I think people do kind of wonder if, uh, if just he might not be the exact player that, he, you know, expect him to be. He could be an NHL player, but uh, is he going to be a top six guy? So uh, right now I, I, I'd probably give Strom the edge, but uh, again, Nylander's young and the fact that he's going to get these opportunities and, uh, I'm sure the Blackhawks are hoping that both guys pan out. Yeah, of course, that would work out really well. Then they have this like really strong top nine. Uh, I'd love to go to the defense now. And it's been really interesting watching the Blackhawks D situation over the past couple of years. Because obviously for a while, it, for a long time, it was Duncan Keith who had the role as the top guy, like top power play defenseman, putting up like 60 plus points in a lot of seasons. Uh, but then 
the uh, last season, finally, uh, Eric Gustafsson was the guy who to come in and sort of unseat Duncan Keith. And Gustafsson had an amazing season. He had 60 points in 79 games, completely out of nowhere. Then this past season, 2019-20, the Gustafsson ride turned like back into a pumpkin, I guess. Like he lost the top power play job. He eventually gets traded to the Flames. He sort of really like people in fantasy leagues were drafting Gustafsson pretty high, thinking that he was going to at least have one more year before Boakvist takes over to you know, run the top power play. But I guess it didn't work out. So anyways, Gustafsson was gone. He went to Calgary and this opened up the door. And even before it opened up the door for Adam Boakvist to get called up. And it wasn't long before Carlton gave him a shot to run the top power play. Also played a decent amount of minutes overall for a stretch in January. Uh, but then, sorry for the long question. Like, But then uh, come late February, Duncan Keith took over. Like Duncan Keith got back in his role on the top power play. And the 36-year-old went on an incredible run before the pause. He had two goals and 10 assists in his final 11 games. So obviously, I want to get to Boakvist. But first, is what we saw at the end there an indication that Duncan Keith could still have another big run, like another big season in him? Or should we expect his career sunset to continue? Like he was on pace for his worst ever season before that explosion at the end. Yeah, you know, they were trying some different things with the power play, trying to get more shots through, and they really made a focus of, you know, getting more shots on the points. And, um, you know, they've really been missing the net front presence this year where they were expecting maybe Shaw to be that guy and he had a concussion. And a, year, a couple of years past, you had Nisimov, who was pretty good in that role, and, and this year sort of lacked it. And, um, you know, in that last game, they put Doc in there, and he actually had some success. But they, they've been having more of a focus of trying to get shots through and, you know, Keith being more aggressive. and. Um, you know, they, they gave Boquist an opportunity there, and I, and I think he's the future, you know, as their, as their power play quarterback. But, um, you know, Keith is – there's still something there. You know, I don't know if the offense is going to consistently be there, but, you know, even as he approaches his uh, – he's a lot closer to 40 than he is 30 at this point, but he, he's a bit of a freak. He is a freak athletically, and, you know, he's still leading them in ice time and, and playing all different situations. So um, I, I don't think – again, I don't think Keith's going to be putting up 50, 60 points, but – um, and I think at some point he moves to the second power play unit or maybe even off it if, you know, if Ian Mitchell becomes, um, you know, it becomes what they think he is. But uh, Keith can still play 25, you know, 25 plus minutes and um, and be a reliable, reliable factor. And I, I think the, one of the, you know, one of the things the Blackhawks like to do is decrease his ice time just because uh, he is getting up their age and it, it'd probably like to start handing over that, uh, handing over that baton a little bit more to some other guys. But um, you know, uh, yeah, for Keith, it's uh, definitely his resurgence toward the end there. You know, it's uh, for the Blackhawks team that they have so much, so many options on that power play, you know, and it hasn't been able to click and it, and it finally did toward the end of the season. So, um, and, and then Boquist, you know, I think we saw him get more comfortable as the season went on too. And, you know, when they traded Gustafson away to Calgary, it opened the door for him to get more ice time. And um, I don't think he expected to be in NHL this season for, for Boquist. And, you know, when he came up from Rockford, he was, uh, um, you know, probably wasn't aggressive offensively as he's been at, at other levels because he, he knew that they were all looking at him and how he played defensively. And he was probably a little bit more tentative and just, um, you know, keeping his eye on the defensive zone. And as, as time went on throughout the season, you, you saw him become more aggressive. And, and right before he got injured, before the pause, he, uh, you know, I think he had five points in three games and, you know, starting to look like his, uh, you know, the type of player that we've kind of expected to see with his offensive skills. So, I think as time goes on, their Boquist is going to take on a bigger role offensively. But um, and and now you throw your Ian Mitchell in the in, in the picture, and um, you know he's someone that was um, played in the power play for University of Denver the last couple of years and put up some points, and they certainly have high expectations for him. And and even Lucas Carlson, who came up late in the season from Rockford and had been running their power play in Rockford, so uh, they have an assortment of guys that they uh, you know probably take over the roles that Keith and Seabrook had in in the past. Yeah, I mean, we always love Carlson's on this podcast. So if we could have another <laughs> successful Carlson, then that would be really cool. And Ian Mitchell, do you think he gets a shot on the team next year now that he's done with the University of Denver? Yeah, and I, I think they'd, they'd like for him to even be eligible for this season if that comes around. I know that NHL right. and NHLPA are kind of still figuring that out. And he's uh, he has two contracts ready to go. One, you know, if he's allowed this season, then he'll, uh, he'll play this season. If not, his, his, his entry level will start next season. Um I think he pushes for ice time or at least an opportunity. He's uh, Blackhawks are high on him and they, they've certainly shown that they're willing to give those younger guys a chance. Just, um, just depends on how many spots are open. You know, Keith's coming back, Murphy's coming back. Um, you got Boquist and then you get Carlson possibly. And then you, you got Cuckoo and Mata and, uh, you know, Seabrook's coming off of three surgeries, but he, uh, he's still signed for multiple years and he's going to 
he's going to continue to try to play. So there, there are a lot of defensemen there in the mix. Um, so, uh, you know, Mitchell, if Mitchell earns the spot, I, I think the Blackhawks give it to him, but it, it certainly won't be handed to him because of who's already there in the mix. And, um, but they are, they are high in Mitchell. You know, I think, uh, you know, after Doc and both place, Mitchell's probably their uh, most, uh, you know, highly rated prospect. That's exciting. Chicago, all of a sudden, like this team that's supposed to be in this like a uh, long rebuild after those long, you know, that nice run of nine straight years making the playoffs. I wonder if this is the start of something. I guess uh, Mark was saying how it really depends if these young guys can get up to speed while, you know, the older guys are still at the top of their game. But yeah, I wonder. I'd even be curious to know, like, if they end up doing this playoffs, I feel like they could give Edmonton a run for their money. Like, they're definitely the more experienced team. In some ways, yeah, no, they 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 played Edmonton well in the past, so it's uh, you know they got nothing to lose, right? Like the most teams probably count, most people counted the Blackhawks out. They have a pretty young young team, a lot of guys in entry level deals. Um, you know the fact that though, you know even at the end of the season, you know, Brandon Hagel coming up and playing uh, played in his debut and Nicholas Bodan, and um, it's a team that played a lot of rookies this season, and um, you know that was, some of that was out of necessity because of injuries to Dehan and 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 Seabrook and guys like that, and and see you know. Talking to sources, it sounds like Dehan might be ready uh, if the you know if the season comes back oh, nice. and as a guy that who wasn't expected to to play again this year. So um, yeah, the question is whether those young guys do catch up, you know, get up to speed, and uh, those old guys don't fall off. So I, I don't. This could still be a rebuild, and and even as we talk about Boquist and Mitchell and Doc, I mean, we're we're still talking about guys who are, are basing on potential. So. Um, it, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, like it, 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 if things click and who knows, if not, though, it, you know, this could also be something that, you know, could be two or three years down the road where, where finally if they can get going again. So it'll, uh, it'll uh, yeah, I, I, even now with goalie, you know, I mean, you'd like to sure they put so much money in the Crawford and Leonard to, to support them and, uh, and they needed it. When you look at the analytics and the stats, they, uh, the defense wasn't great and you had two, uh, two goalies and now they traded Leonard away and, and Crawford becomes a UFA. So um, I, I think a lot of questions are in hand to where the Blackhawks go, even in the near future. Yeah, I guess let's talk about the goalies. Now, I see you recently wrote an article uh, talking about all of the Blackhawks goalies that they've drafted over the years and how little success they've had <laughs> there, uh, which is very interesting. But uh, yeah, Corey Crawford, like he reminds me a lot of Duncan Keith and that it looked like he was sort of at the tail end of his career, it looked like we were done with seeing the Crawford of old. Like uh, for the second season in a row, he missed a lot of time with a scary head injury. Like in 2018-19, he only managed a 908 save percentage in the 39 games he did play. That was his second lowest save percentage of his career. I saw a random blip out of 2011-12. He had a 903 save percentage. And aside from that, he's been like, you know, 915 plus the whole time. 920 is a lot of years. Anyways, this season, 1920. Crawford showed us that he's not done yet. And being in a tandem with Robin Leonard worked out well for him. He bounced back to a 917 save percentage in 40 games. And like you said, now the Blackhawks are in this interesting situation because Leonard's gone and Crawford's going to become a UFA this summer if he doesn't get extended before then. And then I see they've got like the two main goalies in Rockford this past season. One name is familiar. We've got Colin Delia, who got a run with the team back when Crawford was injured in 2018-19. Then they have this guy, Kevin Lankinen, do, so do you think the Blackhawks might pull uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and go with these two inexperienced goalies as their tandem for next season? Or do you think that they're going to be trying to either re-sign Corey Crawford or go for like a bigger name UFA? I think ideally for the Blackhawks, they re-sign Crawford for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you some time and maybe gives them a little bit of a discount. Um, you know, Colin Delia's got a million cap hits. They, he was sort of planning, I think the Blackhawks were planning on him being the number two last season until the Leonard thing kind of presented itself late, uh, late on, on July 1st. Um, and, and then, you know, Delia had a rough stretch for the early in the season and then he bounced back and, and Rockford and played pretty well towards the end. And, and Lincoln and actually played really well early in the season and Rockford coming off of, uh, you know, winning the world championships the, the off season before with Finland. Uh, and then he got hurt. And um, uh, so I, I don't think, I, I think going with Delia and Lincoln would be, pretty much rolling the dice a pretty big gamble but yeah. I think Dealey has shown enough that he can be a number two next season um that number one uh, you know if Crawford's playing like this and he's you know there's a little bit of a rolling the dice too and just his health and um you know the fact that he suffered a couple of concussions and you weren't sure um you know whether he'd play again you know based on you know, like you said a couple of years ago and he and he has bounced back and he's played at a high level so it'll it'll be an interesting offseason and I, I think a lot of it's going to come down to cap numbers it's 
Um, the Blackhawks don't have a lot of cap space, and they have they have Crawford, they have Kubalik, and Strom to still pay. They've already taken to the Brinkett, so um, even even now they have the guys like Kajula and Cuckoo, guys who've contributed that they have to make decisions on. And, um, so so financially, there's a bit of a puzzle to put together for the Blackhawks this offseason. But uh, and goalie's part of that, so it's um, I, I think next year they they also have another guy in Rockford named Matt Tompkins who they signed an NHL deal after being on the AHL deal. So I think Tompkins and Lonkin are the two goalies in, in rock for next year. And I think Delia jumps up to, to Chicago. And then whether it's Crawford or someone else, we'll see. But at, at this point, if I was betting, I'd probably say it was going to be Crawford and Delia as the, the goalies of the Blackhawks next season. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. Like, also, you, it's hard to imagine another team wanting to spend big on Crawford, like, because of those injury troubles. At least Chicago, like, they know what they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, so that that seems like the way it'll go. And then you never know. Colin Delia could be someone who, like, do you think Delia is the type of person that, like, you know, Crawford, whatever, maybe next year. But moving forward, Crawford obviously isn't the long-term option. Do you think that they're seeing Colin Delia as the eventual number one? Or is it really a coin flip between Delia and Lankanen or this other guy? <laughs> Did you mention that? I forgot his name. Uh, yeah, Matt Tompkins. It, Matt Tompkins, yeah. It's, uh, I, I think, you know, Delia and, and, and Lincoln are certainly further um, along the scale of, you know, guys that they think have potential. And uh, Delia has shown some promise. I mean, he, he, he's played some NHL games and he, he had a spurt when he came up, um, you know, came up two seasons ago where he came up and he, and he had some good games and he played well. And, um, you know, he's been up and down, but he's proven that he, he's usually – bounces back and he's learned from his mistakes and um you know he's not really a young young kid um he's been around a little bit now but um the fact that they were willing to sign him for three years and a million you know they liked him enough to give him a one-way deal and uh give him a little bit of change and like i said you know before the lender stuff came around i think they were pretty confident in bringing Delia's number two last season um so yeah i i don't know where where, where they envision him and, and you know i'm sure they're hopeful that he continues to grow and um you know and it becomes like a Bennington story or something like that, you know, where you, where you certainly, um, you have a guy emerge as he gets older and just continues to improve. And, um, so yeah, I don't know, even, even in Lincoln and too, you know, it's, uh, the fact that you saw him have so much success, success for Finland in, in their run of the world championship. He, uh, you know, Blackhawks liked him at that point, but his first year in Rockford wasn't great. And then he had the huge year for, for Finland and certainly raised expectations and, um, so, you know, yeah, and, like, and, and you never know what goal is a little bit, right? Like, it's just it's a little bit of a, uh, a roll of the dice sometimes how they're going to uh, develop. And um, so, yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm curious, too. I know there's a lot of talk about if, you know, the Blackhawks get a top 10 pick, do they, um, do they pick the, the goalie from Russia and whether he's in the mix? And um, it'd certainly be intriguing considering their, their organizational pipeline right now, too, where they don't have a lot of prospects. But um, yeah, it's a, the Blackhawks have also, you know, they've shown that they can pick up goalies elsewhere. I mean, they picked up Bronta from Finland. Uh, they signed Scott Darling, who obviously helped them a lot. And, um, you know, even now with Dillian Lock and then both guys have signed his, signed his free agents. They've, they've proven that you can discover and, um, you know, pick up goalies in other places. So um, it, it'll be interesting. But uh, yeah, for right now, I, I think Dillian is trending toward being an NHL goalie and whether he becomes the number one. Um, you know, I think next season will be uh, kind of give us a little bit more proof. Yeah, I guess it'll be kind of up to him to try to prove to the team that he's up for the job. Otherwise, they'll have to look elsewhere. And like you say, they've done that before. They got Robin Leonard this season. He was amazing. It's too bad that, I guess, didn't work. Is there a story behind there? Like, because I assumed when Leonard signed that contract, it was like a tryout, you know, like sign me to a long year deal. But for like, was it more Leonard or the Blackhawks where they decided to trade him, assuming that they weren't going to want him long term? Yeah, it's in a time like Leonard, as time, you know, Lemmer, Leonard wanted to get paid what he was worth, and he felt like he was done with, you know, taking a one-year deal or, or having to prove himself. You know, after after a couple of seasons of really playing playing well and putting up some of the best numbers in the league, he felt like he was worth more. Um, and the tough spot where the Blackhawks weren't in a great cap situation, and it doesn't sound like you know, it doesn't sound like they ever even got the numbers where, um, you know, they started talking about term and. And Leonard even came down on the term and he was willing to agree to something shorter. And, um, and the Blackhawks have never really revealed exactly why, but um, they, uh, they decided to move on. And, and, um, and maybe this was more of a, a long-term projection still where they saw where the organization was going and uh, trying to acquire wherever they could. But um, yeah, to a lot of people, and I think a lot of those people who were surprised they moved on from Leonard because he seemed like the natural um, successor of Crawford and, um, you know, at the right price and right term, it, it could have been someone who can kind of lead you into that uh, the next wave. So, um, uh, obviously, the Blackhawks thought differently, but it, it was a bit surprising because they seemed like they had 
they lucked upon Lanner and he could have been uh, been that guy for them for a bit. Uh, well, maybe with this change in ownership, maybe at some point Stan Bowman also uh, becomes unemployed and maybe then he could finally tell us what happened there. Because, uh, yeah, it is an interesting situation. Okay, I, I see we're running low on time. One final question I'd love to ask you. We've been asking to all of our different beat writers. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Going into next season, let's say we had to pick one Blackhawk who you expect to be like the biggest positive surprise like someone who people aren't going to be expecting too much from then they're really you know basically the kuba league i guess you can yeah. say and then who's one player who you think will be kind of like the biggest disappointment someone that people are excited about going into next year thinking you know in fantasy leagues he's going to get drafted by fantasy teams and then have people regret it later on like why did i pick this guy uh biggest surprise huh yeah i'm curious about nylander i, I thought you know i've been watching some of those last games of the season and um, you can see where he has some potential, and he's playing with Kane. He's certainly going to get opportunities. So um, maybe maybe it clicks for Nylander next season. He plays with Kane, and mm-hmm. they, they get a consistent center, and um, something gets going there. Um, disappointment, huh? Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, if people are picking Duncan Keith based on his production at the end of the season, I I I, I don't think that's going to carry over. I, that's I think, fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age, so you, you think at some point it's going to probably tail off a little bit, his, even his ice time. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I, I think the Brinkett bounces back. Uh, you know, whether Kubali can do this too is, I, I, you know, it's, it's 30 goals in his first season. He certainly has a lot of the ability where you think he can, he can do this consistently, but but you never know. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people thought Gustafson was, you know, the fact that he had such a huge year, one one year wonder that this year was going to maybe be this type of year and certainly the power play wasn't the same. So um, I, I think we saw that coming. And, you know, with, with, with some of these Blackhawks, you just wonder at what age, you know, what age Kane or Taze or, or, or this, you know, these guys start tailing off as they get into their 30s. So I, I think some of those guys are probably some of the guys to watch that, uh, you know, production begins to uh, decrease. Yeah, I guess things can't last forever. Like I, I remember it was a pretty stark change for like Brent Seabrook, where he was like looking really good, and all of a sudden he seemed to kind of fall off. So you never know when it's going to happen. And yeah, I think I agree with you that Duncan Keith. Yeah, it was a great little run, and like probably like you said, the fifty point seasons are over. I don't think I asked you. I, it's the unfair question that I asked you about Kirby Doc about is he going to be the next Taves? Are we expecting Boakfist to be like not next year maybe, but like are people expecting he's going to be like a Duncan Keith fifty sixty point defenseman come a couple of years from now? Yeah, I, I think offensively, I, I think that Boquist is the real deal. You know, I, I think he's legit. It's just whether, uh, what is he going to be at the other end of the ice? You know, like uh, his defense has improved, but yeah, no, I I don't know. Like it's I, he's going to get the power play time, and I, I honestly do think he's a special talent when you look at his shot and um, you know the different things you can do with the puck. Even now, I mean, there were times over the summer where he just wowed you, and you can see you know in Traverse City and some of these places where he, he's going to be something special. Um, you know, he hasn't exactly unleashed that in the NHL yet, and I think a lot of it has to do because he's trying to be uh, more defensive-minded. But at some point, he's going to get comfortable, and uh, I'm sure the Blackhawks are hoping they're going to get better with defensively, too, where you can probably allow him some more offensive zone situations or just allow him to play to his strengths. And, uh, and certainly putting him on the power play more is going to give him more uh, more points, too, and more opportunities. So, yeah, but I, I think the Blackhawks, I don't know if he's going to be a true number one defenseman just because it's it's sort of that two way defense when you want, but I, I think both at least from an offensive standpoint is gonna be uh be what they the Blackhawks expect him to be when they draft them. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess obviously it'll help for him to no longer be a teenager and to actually be like a full grown adult in the league. I think that's going to yield good results. I'm excited to see what happens with him and the Blackhawks. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on Keeping Carlson. Uh, So obviously people should be reading your articles on The Athletic, including this goalie article where you go through a whole bunch of no names of goalies uh, that Chicago has drafted over the years and where they ended up. Uh, Then there's the Laz and Powers podcast. Uh, People should follow you at by Scott Powers. I guess I'm saying all this but then just to ask is there anything else you want to throw out there that people no should... no that's great no I, I appreciate having me on thank you okay great yeah and i'll link to all this stuff in the show notes so thanks again scott and have a great rest of your night you too thank you take care All right. Thank you once again to Scott Powers for that great interview covering the back half of my chicago blackhawks questions Man, what a fun episode. What a fun team. So many players. Like for a team that no one was even expecting to make the playoffs this year, now is going to potentially make it if the NHL can figure this out and the world can figure this out. That's a whole other conversation. Okay, but if they make it, regardless, what I meant to say is this team, like they have Kane, Taves, Dabrinka, Kubalik, Strom, Saad, Doc, Nylander, Keith, Bokfis, like so many potentially fantasy relevant players 
And that's not even getting into the goalies. So yeah, exciting team. Curious to see what will happen in the future. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of our 31 Beats series. We hope you've been enjoying them. I'd love to hear some feedback. Uh, some people have been really nice, and we always love to know you're out there. So that's at Keeping Carlson to get in touch on Twitter. Uh, if you would be so kind, if you're liking what you're hearing and appreciating what we're doing, we definitely wouldn't mind a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. If they have some sort of rating system, that's a great way to help people find the show. And I don't think a lot of people are looking for hockey content. So when they do search for hockey, we definitely want them to find us. So yeah, uh, if you don't mind, we'll take the good review. Okay. And then finally, I will mention that we have our Patreon program where we're going to be doing a patron cast this coming Wednesday, a special show just for the patrons. We're going to be making an announcement about the cupful which is going to be a lot of fun our keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league and obviously answer all the questions from the patrons we also have our facebook community where we're chatting fantasy hockey all year round so if you have any interest in becoming a patron of keeping carlson we're giving away all of our perks for only a dollar during the off season so you could check all that out at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but with that let's cue the outro music and i'm gonna go ahead and read you the credits so the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast is presented by dopper hockey and supported by our patrons logos by brandon weeb outro music by pat roach and this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey's frozen tools natural statric uh some cat friendly I, I don't know actually i've been doing a dynasty league draft so i'm not sure if the cap friendly was for this episode or for that but whatever uh, there's a lot of great sites out there i'll just say some more of them uh hockeygoalies.org hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects roto world and of course the athletic and the great minds of Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers, who were very nice to join us to talk Blackhawks. And we here at Keeping Carlson Productions have every intention to continue our Beat Writer series all throughout the summer. So make sure you are subscribed. And we'll be back at you with another episode very soon. And until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>